Well, let's turn to God's word together. Do you young, young folk, did you get the word that was repeated and implied? <coughs> Wept. Wept was the word. And I've got a very simple text, it's just two words this morning. And you find them in that part of God's word that we read in John chapter 11. And John 11 verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Now, I guess if we're honest, we all know what it's, what it's like to cry and to shed tears. I wonder what it is that makes you cry. I'm not going to ask you to tell me. I could list all sorts of things that will make us cry. But we do know what it is to cry and to weep. And one of the most wonderful things to me is to realize that our Lord and Saviour, he knew what it was to weep and to cry. It's not a sign of weakness. Here it was a sign of strength. Jesus knew what it was to weep. And he knew what it was to sigh. After all, Isaiah tells us, doesn't he, that the coming saviour would be a man of sorrows and he would be acquainted with grief. And I want us to see those things this morning. What made him grieve and what filled him with sorrow and even brought him to tears. And there are three specific occasions which we've just read when Jesus wept and which engage our attention this morning. They are full of comfort. But when thought through carefully, they are also a great challenge to us. We read how Jesus wept over Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19. My text comes from a passage where Jesus wept at a graveside. And the third passage that we read in Matthew, I suggest to you that Jesus wept in the garden at night. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7, we read how Jesus was a man of sorrows. That's Isaiah. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But in Hebrews 5 and verse 7, we read these words, quite amazing words. In the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears. Jesus knew what it was to weep. Look at him, watch him, as he wept, looking over the city of Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19. As he drew near, we read, he saw the city and he wept over it. What did Jesus see? 
as he drew near. He's on his way to the cross, quite specifically at this point. The events of this particular chapter record what we know as Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. But when he drew near to the city and he looked at the city, he wept. What was he looking at? He was looking at a city that represented a nation that was hardened. Hardened in its sinful rejection of him. Its rejection of him specifically as the Messiah, the Christ, the Saviour. He was looking at a city that had many great God-given covenant privileges. He was looking at a city that had a rich history of great deliverances over centuries. A city that had a glorious heritage of God-centered worship. It was there that Solomon built the temple. Centuries before that, Abraham had offered on that very mountain his son Isaac. David had offered sacrifices on that mountain. Solomon had built the temple which had now stood for many, many years. What a heritage of God-centered worship. It was a city that had had a prophetic ministry of the word of God. And Jesus mentions himself how they had slain the prophets. They had rejected the word of God. And of recent, the recent two, three years, it had witnessed and had the powerful ministry of the Son of God himself among them. And yet, for all this, the city and the nation of which it was the capital had despised and rejected it all. Jesus wept as he saw its rejection of him, its rejection of the word that had been brought to them through the prophets and the promises, its refusal to acknowledge the great deliverances of the past, he wept. But he didn't only see things. What did Jesus say in the light of what he saw? If you had known, if only you realised how blessed, I'm paraphrasing here, if only you had realised the blessings that are yours, those blessings that are yours in me. You're under God's curse. You are under God's curse. 
This sinful rejection has brought terrible consequences. Seventy years later, verse 44 would be fulfilled. The temple mount would be raised to the ground. And all that's left today is the wailing wall, simply because it was too big and too heavy for the Roman soldiers to actually destroy. But it's got right down to foundation level. Because it rejected the Saviour. God had warned them. He had warned them many times through the prophets. He had warned them through John that he would punish and destroy the rejecting city and the people. And history tells us it happened What Jesus saw was a city that rejected him. And what Jesus said in the light of that was a fresh warning. And Jesus' reaction, what Jesus did as he pointed out what he saw, was to weep. He wept over this doomed city and people. He knew time was running out. Running out for them. In just a few decades, they would reap those inescapable and irreversible consequences. Doesn't that speak to you and I this morning? I trust it does. What does Jesus see as he looks down from heaven on this congregation this morning? What does he see when he looks down on you as an individual this morning? Let's come down to basics. Are you, as an individual, not the person next to you, but you, are you any different, ultimately, to the city that Jesus was looking at? That Jesus was weeping over? Is there a sense in which you have been warned many, many times and today you are still rejecting that call of the gospel. You will not humble yourself. You will not bend the knee before Christ as your Saviour and Lord. Is there a sense in which we could say Jesus is weeping over you? Consider the privileges you've had. I know your pastor well enough to know the privileges you've had. The word of God is in your hand. You picked up your Bible this morning and read it with me. You've read it with him. 
You have listened to and you are listening to the preaching of the gospel. How many times have you heard the call to repent and believe the gospel? How many times have you closed your heart and your ears to that call? Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Is Jesus weeping? Or is there joy in the presence of the angels of God in heaven this morning? Because you are weeping over your sin. Do you ever weep over your sin? Do you ever weep over your rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, consider what awaits you unless you repent of your sin and turn to Jesus Christ alone, putting aside all you want to happen and saying, Nothing in my hand I bring. Nothing. No experiences. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Here, in this passage, Jesus is weeping over the living. Now let's move to another situation in John chapter 11 here Jesus is weeping at a graveside two words Jesus wept he's come this time to Bethany he has heard of the death of Lazarus close friend he was a close family friend and in his human grief he says where have you laid him where has he been buried and they say to him with broken voices come and see come and have a look and Jesus wept where did Jesus come this time He's come to a closed grave. It's all over. It's done. And it contained the mortal remains of his dear friend Lazarus. He has come to the place from which there's no return. Now I know the story goes on and we learn how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But at this particular point, this is where he's come. This is what a grave is. It's a place of no return. It's the place where the bodies of the dead await the great resurrection and judgment day of God. That final and irrevocable dismissal of body and soul at the resurrection to hell or a welcome to glory. That's where Jesus has come. 
What did he see when he came there? What did he see at the graveside of his friend Lazarus? He saw grief. That's what you'd expect. He saw grief and he saw sorrow in the place of death. He looked two sisters, Martha and Mary, weeping with broken hearts at what had happened. He looked around and he saw the whole village in mourning because Lazarus was such a favourite in the village. But I suggest Jesus saw something more than that that made him weep. What he was in the presence of and what he saw was the ultimate consequence of sin. The wages of sin is death. He saw its finality. Its pain was manifest in the distressing tears of the sisters and the surrounding people. And I put it to you. Its reality was manifest in the tears of the Saviour himself. This is what sin does. Isn't it? He saw the consequences, the manifest consequences of sin. He was uh, looking at the irrevocable consequences of sin. So what did Jesus do at Lazarus' graveside? He wiped the tears away. He dealt with those consequences, didn't he? He came and he displayed that he had power to bring life to the dead. He brought Lazarus back to life. I'll leave you to read the story for yourselves. What a glorious end! to a terrible tragedy. Not just a happy ever after ending to a story. But here is something wonderful. Here is a tremendous evidence of the power and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we not learn from that? As he wept over Jerusalem, he wept over the consequences of a rejection of him. But now he demonstrates the consequences of a trusting in him. You see, Jesus came down into the world. He came into the very realm of hardened, impenitent sinners like you and I. Not merely to commiserate with them, but to deliver them. He came to deliver them from sin itself and from the consequences of sin. 
Are you going to rejoice this morning? Because you are turning to this Saviour who brings the dead to life. Those dead in their trespasses and sins, he brings to new life in himself. That's what you need. And that's what you can have. Does he find you this morning then, weeping over your sin and the prospect that awaits you? Yes, he came and he comes and he weeps with you. But praise God, we don't end there. Because in my third reading, Jesus wept in a garden at night. In Matthew chapter 26. He wept in a garden at night. He began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Hebrews tells us he offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries. Vehement cries and tears. Where's Jesus now? Where's he gone? He's gone into the Garden of Gethsemane, which means an olive press. There he is being pressed beyond measure because he knows what's going to happen in a few hours' time. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ on a very real battlefield. His coming into the world was to seek and to save the lost. And that salvation means a battle, requires a battle. The lifeboats called out. It's a rough stormy night. What term do we use? It battles against the waves to save the ones in distress. There is a nation besieged by enemies and liberations coming. What does it require? It requires a battle to remove the obstructions. And my friend, Jesus came to save the lost. And he had to go through a battle to deliver them. And that battle is taking place there in Gethsemane's garden, as well as on the cross. What did Jesus say there in the garden? Your will be done. Father, your will be done. He offers up prayers. He offers up supplications. Loud, bitter cries are going out from his heart. Tears are pouring from him. He's sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. Weeping and struggling, he is committing his body and his soul to the climactic goal of his life. 
fully knowing what's about to happen. He knew within hours he was going to be the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of all who repent and turn to him. There was no greater love than this. For he said himself, greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. This morning, as he laid down his life for you, are you one of those friends? Have you come to the foot of the cross? Are you observing in the battlefield of Gethsemane and the battlefield of the cross a saviour who has taken your sin and is fighting the biggest battle ever to deliver you from it? What was happening on the cross if he's wrestling in the garden? What is happening on the cross? The wrath of God, the anger of God for sin is being poured out on him. There he is bearing the penalty in full. There he is shedding his blood, the ransom price for all those who put their trust in him. Is that you? Is that you this morning? All your trust is in him. My hope is built on nothing less. And as my dear old dad used to say, and nothing more than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Is that you? Instead, someone's written this, and it struck me as I was reading through the week. Instead of God directing his anger at me, on the cross, Jesus Christ was like a shield and turned that anger away from me. All my sin, my guilt, my shame were washed away by his blood. Is that your testimony this morning? Is that where you are this morning? Jesus wept. He wept over you in your rebellion and sent his spirit to turn you round. He wept over the consequences that your sin will bring upon you. And he wept as he went into battle to deliver you. And now your hope is on him and in him. Can you this morning see a weeping saviour and not be moved when you think why he wept in Gethsemane? That fair, so fair a face bedewed with tears. What beauty even in grief appears to the believer. 
where he's taking my sin and my sorrow and making it his very own. For he wept, he bled, he died for you. What more, you saints, could Jesus do? Are you weeping tears of grief that this wasn't done for you? Or are you weeping tears of joy that it was done for you? How can you tell? My friend, you can know that it was for you when you lay down the arms of your rebellion against him and put your trust in him and in him alone. Bringing nothing. You know what nothing is? It's no thing. No experiences, no offerings, no nothing. You bring nothing in your hand, but simply Lord, save even me, and he will do so. So in conclusion this morning, in compassion and with tears, Jesus weeps over the lost. And shouldn't we do the same, Christian brother and sister? Shouldn't we be weeping over the lost? That's what I, Jesus said, follow me. Look how I wept over the lost. Look how I wept over Jerusalem. It was through tears, through a veil of tears, that he saved sinners. Do you weep over the lost? Are you weeping? Is he weeping over you? Is he calling you now to repent of your sin? And you're content to let him weep on? Oh friend, I urge you, I plead with you this morning, rise up and confess him as Lord. Follow him in humble faith and obedience to the glory that he has gone to prepare. If you follow him through life, you follow him to the cross, you follow him through the grave, you follow him in the resurrection, you follow him to glory. Are you following him? Or would you rather have your sin and knowingly go to hell which is prepared for those who reject him. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, oh, do touch and move hearts here this morning. Lord, may there be joy in the presence of the angels in heaven over one sinner repenting here this morning, or more. Lord, we know that that verse it doesn't say the angels are rejoicing, although I'm sure they do. But Lord, in the presence of the angels, it's almost, Lord, as if Christ himself rejoices when one of his confesses him. Oh Lord, grant these things, we pray, for your glory. Lord, we don't want any, any glory ourselves. Encourage those who seek to reach the lost that they may have joy, even as Christ himself has joy, in the repentance 
and salvation of them. We seek it in his name and for his glory. Amen.